good and crazy stuff. That, and it wasn't just a guard by Peter's side, was it? You know, there was God right there, right there beside him all the time. In the beginning, God created everything, oceans, rivers, mountains, forests, birds, animals, planets, stars, solar systems, galaxies, man, woman, and it was good. It was very good. And everything was created by God and for God, by his word and for his purposes, and, and it was good. It was very good. I mean, try to, try to imagine what a world untainted by sin and corruption would actually look like. Wow. And, and church, never forget that the point, that the reason, that the purpose behind the entire deal, every star, every ocean, every galaxy, every planet, was that this star-breathing, ocean-holding, all-powerful, all-knowing God desired not only to create man and woman in his image, but desired to have an up-close personal, taking walks in the garden, relationship with them and with you and with me. He doesn't just desire to be our God. He desires to be our friend. He doesn't just love you. God actually likes you, likes being around you. I understand, God wanted them to know him and to be known by him. And that relationship between God and man was good. It was very good. Yes, God was mind-blowingly gracious to man, giving him an incredible, unbelievable, untainted garden paradise to live in. And, and, and God told, told them to, hey, go ahead and enjoy it and explore it and, and be sure to have fun with it. And, and don't forget to enjoy each other, be fruitful and multiply. And it was good. It was very good. And, and we don't know how, how long this it was good, it was very good lasted. Days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, we just don't know. But we do know is that one day, it was good, it was very good, came to an abrupt and tragic end. The day that both man and woman, instead of listening to the voice of God, decided to listen to the lies of the serpent, their enemy and ours. Did God really say? And, and, and once, Satan hung, once Satan hung that question mark over God, over God's character and over God's purposes, suddenly God's voice got a lot softer and the voice of the enemy began to get amped up a little bit. And the voice of the enemy took them to the place it always takes us to when we're listening to his lies, the place where we turn our backs on God and we do whatever we want to do. And listen, when they took the bite out of that forbidden fruit, at that very moment, everything changed, everything. Creation, man, woman, the relationship with God as fear, sin, shame, and separation were born. But, and listen, this is a huge but, but because of, our, because of who our God is, not only was fear, sin, and separation, and shame born in that garden, but also his mercy and his grace. You see, though man was not so good, God was still good, still very good. In fact, he was so much gooder, and I did the math this week, he was gooder to the 1,700,493 power gooder okay, than their sin and their shame. And by the way, God is gooder all the time, God is gooder, <laughs> God is gooder than your sin. God is gooder than your shame. 
God is gooder than your failures. Tell the people around you, tell them that God is gooder. And I know that's a challenge for you grammar Nazis, right? You know, it's like, that's not a word. I know. This is me. And, 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 so, and so God gave man and woman a promise as they hid in fear among the bushes. God promised that one day he would set things right, that one day he would send his son, that one day he would crush the head of the lying, deceiving, life-destroying serpent, that one day he would restore things as they were. As a matter of fact, he would make things better than they even were at the very beginning. And for thousands of years, mankind waited for the arrival of God's one and only Satan head-crushing son to arrive. And then one day a baby was born to a virgin named Mary in a little town called Bethlehem, and the wait was over. You see, 2,000 years ago, the promise of God, 2,000 years ago, the promise of God to set things right, to restore the relationship between himself and man, put on flesh, and invaded this planet. Yes, in that little town of Bethlehem, as we just sang, love came down to rescue me, to rescue you, to set us free. 2,000 years ago, love came down uh, to rescue this lost, dark, confused, broken, hurting world that God loves so very much. And in Luke chapter 4, the word love got God got in the flesh after his own encounter uh, uh, with the 40-day encounter, as a matter of fact, with the serpent, walks out of that wilderness and walks into the synagogue in his hometown, you see, it was time for Jesus to say, hey, here's who I am, here's what I'm about, and here's what I'm going to do. Luke writes, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogue, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, Right? It was this custom when God's people gathered to worship God to be there, and I, I bet those that day were glad they showed up for church that morning, right? It'd be terrible, like, you, know, you mean God actually showed up at church and we kind of missed him, you know? Hey, you should be here. God is right here with us. They're texting their friends. You're kidding me. I should have been here. He, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. It's Isaiah 61. He says, you want to know what I'm about? You, know, you want to know what I'm here to do? The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. So usually they would walk in there, read the Scripture, and they would sit down to teach. The odds of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. What's he going to say? He began by saying to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And man, I so wish that someone pulled out their iPhone, right, and recorded Jesus' very first sermon, uploaded it to iTunes so I could download the podcast and hear what Jesus had to say that day. I mean, I wonder what other stuff he said. I mean, maybe he quoted more of Isaiah 61. And you know, this week I was thinking that if, if those in Nazareth that day you know, had Twitter accounts, right, you know, what would they have tweeted that day as Jesus spoke? And see, that's the kind of stuff I think about while you guys are doing regular jobs, right? And, 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 and so I, here, here's some of the things I think G, they would have tweeted about what Jesus was saying from Isaiah 61. He will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. At Nazarene1, that, that's his Twitter account, Jesus, okay? 
Hashtag, could this be the Messiah? Hashtag, bring it on me, Jesus. Hashtag, MG Pursue. See, he knew this was coming. We're going to be here. Okay. Uh, next one. The Lord has planted them. That would be us. Like strong and graceful oaks for his glory. Hashtag, feeling strong. Hashtag, it's all about him. Hashtag, create it for his glory. Hashtag, sweet. <laughs> Instead of shame and dishonor, you inherit a double portion of prosperity and everlasting joy. Wow, loving my inheritance. Hashtag, no more shame. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring that Conrad Jenkins has planted. <laughs> man, <right? laughs> Amen, he does some, he's good. Okay. His rights will be like a garden in early spring filled with young plants springing up everywhere. Hashtag, everywhere I look, I see you. Hashtag, unstoppable. Qu- question, according to Jesus, what he read in his hometown synagogue 2,000 years ago, what was he about? What did he come to do? He came to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight, for the blind, and not just physically blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Maple Grove, that was his mission. And let's fast forward about three years past his ministry, past his miracles, past his death, past his burial, past his resurrection to John chapter 20, verse 20. In the evening of the, that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. He's got a different resurrected body now. He kind of like, boom, you know, just appeared. Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and decided the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor, as the Father has has sent me to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to let everybody know that the time of the Lord's favor has come, so I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, God, is with joy and expectation and thanksgiving that we come into your presence God, to know that you're on our side, to know that you love us, to know that you go before us, to know that you're behind us and beside us and all around us and inside of us is absolutely mind-blowing and incredible. And God, I pray this morning as we continue to, to look at your word, God, that we will engage your word as it is. We'll engage it being alive and active. God, I, I pray that we turn up the volume so that we can hear your voice today. And God, help me not to get in the way. And uh, Father, just help me to say what you want me to say. God, help me help me. Help me to, to, to preach and to serve right now for you and to please you and, and, and for an audience of one, God. I, I just long to say what you want me to say. Help, help me, God, to speak well for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to week four of our message series, Life on Mission. Welcome to day 29 of His Church at 3210 Prophet Road, pursuing the mission, the actions, and the compassion of Jesus. Understand, during the next three years, from October the 12th, 2014, to October the 12th, 2017, we're going to live our lives on mission as we, with great intentionality, pursue the purposes for which God created us, both individually and as a church. 
You see, it's time for us to tune out the lies of the serpent and crank up the volume of the voice of God. Look up. up. You are created by God and for his purposes. There is a person that God created you to be. There are good things that God planned for you to do before you took your very first breath. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, and we're going to, I kind of had it personalized for us, and we'll kind of read that together. One, two, three. For I am God's masterpiece. He has created me anew in Christ Jesus so that I can do the good things he planned for me long ago. Do you believe this? And, and, and there's a thing in your notes you can actually circle if you're taking notes. You're like, I, I believe that's true. I, I believe, as you'll see, in, the next thing in your notes on the screen, I believe there is a person God created me to be. I, I believe there are good things he planned for me to do long before I took my very first breath. And since this is truth, Here's the deal. It, 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 it would be more than a tragedy to get to the end of our lives, regardless of our worldly success, regardless of how many people applauded us, and discover that we missed out on living the life that we were created to live. Get it? Good. Evergrove, that's why we have launched a, a three-year plan called Pursue, uh, that's why we're doing this series, Life on Mission. And, and listen, th- th- this, th- this life on mission thing, this pursuit thing, there's so, it's so much more than a sermon series. It, it's so much more than a, it just, just a, a three-year church plan. And, instead, these things are divinely planted opportunities that have the potential to radically change our lives, our homes, our, this church, our communities, and beyond. And here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. If your desire is to live the life that God created you to live. And if your desire is to be, be a part of a church that is striving to become all that God wants her to be, you're at the right place at the right time. Understand, only God knows the impact we will have as a church in the coming years. Only God knows how many lives we will help. Only God knows how many eternities we will redirect as the hundreds of people who gather in this room every week begin living their lives on mission and pursuing him and his purposes above all else. Amen? And remember, living a life on mission begins with belong. Here's that diagram you're going to it's everywhere, right? You probably, in your dreams, right? I'm going to you know, get it on your mirror, right? It's everywhere, okay? And, and living a life of mission, it begins with belong, with first belonging to God, right? Surrendering to God, surrendering to him in faith and repentance and baptism. And, and, and it means belonging to the church, belonging to the body, but belonging to his family. It begins with belong. It deepens with grow. It expresses itself in serve. And as we begin looking at today, living a life on mission unleashes the favor and power of God as we engage. It unleashes the favor and power of God as we engage. As we what? As we engage. Okay. I'm fired up. 
I get up at four in the morning and I, I go strong and then die. <laughs> so I've been chilling with God for a while. So his voice is a lot louder than the lies of the enemy. You know, so I kind of like Sundays. You know, crank up his volume. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 11, now, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. I have a couple of questions. They're, they're difficult questions, but we look like a smart crowd today. Okay, how useful is a lamp that is covered up? Not very, right? I mean, I would venture to say that a lamp that is hidden is off mission, right? It's off mission, okay? Next question. How useful is an uncovered lamp that is not lit? Again, not very, right? Again, not very. I I mean, a, a, a light that is not lit will never be able to fulfill its mission no matter how pretty that lamp looks, right? Okay, here's my great illustration here. <laughs> this is a garbage can, and guess what's under the garbage can? Woohoo! Okay, it, it, it's been on the whole time, right? But, but, but w- w- what good is a light no matter how bright if that light is hidden? In like manner, okay, what good is a light that's uncovered if it's not turned on? Okay, it, it, it's not... It's not very useful, and here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to say. And no, I'm not trying. I'm actually saying it. <laughs> I keep them lights down, y'all. I need some more darkness, just a little bit longer. Um, is that you know, this, you know, this serve, I mean, this belong and grow and serve, it's all, you know what it's all about? It's about helping our light turn on and get brighter and brighter. See, the more we belong... Right, the, we take our relationship with God deeper and other, each other deeper, our light gets brighter. We grow deeper in our faith, it gets brighter. We grow deeper as a body when we serve and make this body strong, our, 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 our light gets stronger. And see, it, it'll, it'll do us no good as a church, right? You know, okay, it does absolutely no good to say, okay, you know, as a church, where's my plug? There it is, here it is. I'll try not to trip in the dark. Okay, it, it does us no good as a church to say, hey, you know what? We're ready to engage the world, y'all. Let's go engage. Woo! We're uncovered. We're engaged. Woo! It's not going to do any good, is it? It's not going to do any good. And, and, and so, you know, belong and grow and serve are about making our lights burn brighter. Perfect timing. Y'all good back there. And, 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 and here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, I've been talking about it. You know, next Saturday, 9 to 12, right, we're having our first life on mission classes. Right? If you've been hanging out at Maple Grove for a while, you have never gone to the Discover the Grove class, you need to come to the Belong, belong class. Find out, hey, what are these people about? What are they trying to do? What is their plan and their vision? That's next Saturday from 9 to 12. Child care is provided. Your kids will have all kinds of cool stuff to do. Right? And, and if you're already a member of Maple Grove, then you need to come to the, to the Grove class. Where we're going to talk about five habits right, that are guaranteed Right, if, if you jump in the water, you get wet, and if you do these five things, you will grow, right? Because God has designed these things to cause you to grow. And, and what we're going to do right now is they continue to turn the lights up is we actually put in the program and, and even taking out a, a few minutes to do it, there's an insert in the program 
you know, and, and we're trying to update our database, right, because we sell out our mailing list and make some extra money when offerings down. No, <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we're, we're going to, you know, we want to increase, you know, we, we want to update our database because we got wrong addresses, wrong phone numbers. But So fill this sheet out. You know, you'll see in the bottom, you can actually, if you haven't already, you can sign up here for the Belong or the Grow class, okay? And you can take time to do that. If you need pens, anybody need pens? I stopped at Walgreens this morning and got a bunch of pens. Anybody need a pen? You know I'm going to throw them and someone's going to get hit, right? Okay. Our insurance paid up, right? Anybody need a pen back there? Okay. If you need a pen, anybody need a pen? Okay. Okay. So we're going to take, we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to fill these out. Also, you can... You can check a box there and sign up for Right Now Media, and, and uh, totally free. You put your email, we'll send you an invite, and, and it, it'll give you access to, you know, I think it's 4,000 now, 4,000 different videos. You know, if you have children, all the veggie tales and all kinds of kid stuff is on there, absolutely free, right? Great teaching by people like John Maxwell on leadership, Francis Chan, Andy Stanley. There's great teaching about parenting and family and budgeting, okay, um, leadership, you know, about being a godly man, a godly woman, you know, all kinds of leadership conferences that, that, uh, that have been out there. All this stuff is, is available to you completely free. So take a few minutes to fill them out. They're going to play some mood music, right, for like a minute or so, you know, and, and uh, you know, pass them towards you know, your nearest aisle and like uh, Nick and Joe and Tom will collect them, right? Thanks, guys. All right, here comes the movie music. Amen. Um, if you haven't filled it already, you're just way too slow. No, just kidding. <laughs> just being abusive. Uh, um, and, and, you know, if you can't turn it in now, you can drop in the offering plate, put it back at the visitor center. Um, yeah, but this is all, all this is about, right? You know, our light's burning brighter. You know, that's why we have Right Now Media. Every member in our church has access to incredible teaching, you know, um, in addition to our website where you'll find my incredible teaching. Now, uh, <laughs> okay, now, now this week, you know, we're talking about engage and how when we engage the world, God unleashes his favor and his power. And, and, uh, and we're just kind of overviewing this week. And, and we got like three more weeks talking about engage. And, and here's where we're going the next few weeks. Quickly, I'll let you guys know. Um, there should be a slide pop up in just a second. Um, next week, we're going to talk about engage connecting and, and, and and that's about, you know, it'll be really convicting and challenging for a lot of us about how we need to be intentional about developing relationships with people far from Christ. I mean, how can we bring people who don't know Christ to Christ if you don't know people who don't know Christ? And we're going to talk about that next week. Um, kind of like the book we had studied, Each with Sinners. On the 23rd, we're doing engaged serving, talking about, you know, how by showing acts of compassion, that many times gives us the opportunity, you know, to form these relationships. Uh, on, on the 30th, uh, we're going to jump out of the series just for a week and talk about living a life of thankfulness. Uh, you know, a lady named uh, Ann Voskant wrote a book, you know, about like how being grateful can actually change your life and thinking about what you have and not what you don't. And, and I heard about the book a long time ago, but I got to hear her speak for 90 minutes on a video. Lady blew my mind. And, and the power of being a grateful people you know, and how that can absolutely change our lives. We're going to do that on the 30th and jump back and finish, engage, sharing our faith on December the 7th, and then following week begin a, a, a uh, Christmas-type series. Okay, overview engage. Just three things I, I, I want to mention today. Um, number one, engage, God has called us to. 
God has called us to engage. Understand, engaging the world around them has been God's plan for his people dating all the way back to Abraham. In Genesis 12, uh, where God told this 75-year-old guy, he said, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. I understand from the beginning, God has always wanted the lives of his followers to impact in a positive way the culture of the world around them. You see, God, God, God wants the culture at places like NGIC, DIA, UVA, PVCC, Walmart, Chick-fil-A, William Monroe High School and Middle School, Albemarle Sutherland. He wants all those places to be a better place because his people are there. Get it? Good. And when God wore flesh, right, and walked this earth, did he engage the culture? Absolutely, all the time. In the city, in the countryside, at the temple, and in homes, in the marketplace, and around the dinner table. And listen, Jesus made it clear that we are to do the exact same thing. We are to engage the culture. He said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. To tell the person to your right and your left, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. Tell the person you're right and left, you are the light of the world. Go ahead and tell them. That's crazy, right? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or a garbage can unless it's for a sermon illustration. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And after his resurrection, Jesus met his guys in Galilee, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. He didn't say, therefore stay, build, and wait. He said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And, and Paul talked about our engagement in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, do everything without what? Without grumbling and com complaining. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Why? So that you, you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then Paul adds this footnote. If you do what God's called you to do, then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, that you got it, you got it, and you did it. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in the right mind, it's for you. And here's what I really believe, that if you and I really go after this engaged thing, it'll kind of make us look a little kooky. I'm looking at 
I'm looking at Gail right there. She agrees, right? It's going to make us look a little kooky, a little crazy. It doesn't make sense. Why don't we do something like that? Why don't we give up stuff like that? For Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that all died, because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? Gave us, gave me, gave you the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of helping lost people get found and get forgiven. You see, God is not looking for an audience to fill a building. He's looking for an army to engage the world that he loves. Engage, God calls us to, engage the world needs us to. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, what do you see when you see the crowds? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, I was able to hang out for a while Thursday night at the student center with you know, some of the guys from Pacham and, and chat with them, and it, it, it's always very interesting. And, you know, I, I got to thinking, what would Jesus see down there? Would, would he see the same thing that I see when he looked at those guys? Would he see something different? It's amazing how young they're getting. Guys, we live in a world that is full of lost, broken, hurting, and hopeless people. And and listen, those people are found not just in homeless shelters, right? You're going to find a, a few hopeless, lost, broken, hurting people living in neighborhoods like Forest Lakes, North and South, right? And, and, and as, we, as you and I, as we see the crowds, it's obvious that so many have lost their way and are stumbling around in darkness. It's obvious that so many, so many people, they're looking for life in all the wrong places and are coming up empty. So many people are hungry and thirsty, physically, spiritually, emotionally. So many homes, so many marriages, so many families are crashing and burning. So many people are trapped in lives of anger and hatred and bitterness and hopelessness and violence and addiction and abuse. There are millions around the world who die every year from hunger, thirst, and preventable diseases. There are over 145 million orphans around the world, 120,000 in our own country. There's 400,000 kids in foster care and all that, and not, not even to mention that there are billions of people around the world that right now, guess what? They cannot say that I am God's masterpiece because they are still, because of their unforgiven sin, object of God's wrath. Maple Grove, this dark world needs us. They need our help. They need our hope. They need our Christ. They need our Savior. They need his truth. They need his grace. And they need us, his people, his church, to no longer be a place of refuge from the world, but to be a place of refuge in and for the world. Jesus said, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? We're always wanting to put off our engagement, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 we should do this. We should reach lost people. We should show his compassion. But isn't it four months away? <laughs> isn't it like down the road? I tell you, open your eyes. 
Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Did you know that America now makes up one of the largest mission fields in the world? 195 million people in our country do not go to church. And the percentage of Americans who don't claim any kind of religious worldview has gone from only 15% in 1950 to what? 60% in 2010. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. And, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not a farmer, but we had a farmer in first service, and he verified this, that when the harvest is ripe, you either reap it or you lose it. You either reap it or you lose it. And there are hurting, broken people right now that are ready, that are ripe for the message of Christ. And either we're going to go out and reap it or we may lose it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Engage. God's called us to engage. The world needs us to engage. It must be in relevant ways. That's, our, that's our, actually our fourth core value, right? And, and, and they say two quick statements here. Being relevant is not about the growth trying to be like the culture or to be hip and cool. Instead, it's about trying to speak in a way that our culture will understand. Makes sense, right? I mean, what good is a message that people can't understand it? Here, here's, here's my example right here. I, I want to encourage you guys today with this passage of Scripture. Oh, my, that's, whoo, yes! Okay, well, let me clear it up for some of you that didn't get that one. Okay, now you got it, right? Okay, the first was in Chinese, the second was in Arabic. And what I decided to do my Bible gateway, you know, you can open up many different versions. I'm going to keep one of these open at all times to remind myself that, man, if people don't get it, it doesn't matter what you say. You know, and here's what we actually can understand. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Statement number two, a local church a local church can become irrelevant, but the church can never become irrelevant. And I know that there's, I know that there are those who question whether or not the church is relevant today. In such an advanced, in such an advanced, educated, and sophisticated, every time I try to say my funny word, I can't get the next word. In an advanced, educated, and sophisticated culture that we find ourselves in 21st century America. But listen, since every person was made in the image of God, his church and his word will always be relevant. Yeah, a lot of stuff has changed, but guess what? Man is still man. People are still people. Question, is freedom from guilt relevant? Is having a real and lasting hope relevant? Is overcoming our fears relevant? Is forgiveness relevant? Is experiencing peace rather than anxiety? Is that relevant? Is a true sense of belonging relevant? Is being fully known yet accepted and loved relevant? Is having a hope beyond this life relevant? Is no fear of death relevant? Is experiencing life in all its fullness relevant? Is being a better person, a better parent, a better husband, a better wife, a better father, is that relevant? Is having a reason and purpose for living relative? 
Is having a strength greater than our own available to us at all times relevant? Is a purpose behind all the pain, all the hurt, and all the sorrow relevant? Is a strength to overcome the sorrows and difficulty of life relevant? Is having an inexpressible and glorious joy, is that relevant? Is redirecting the eternity of lost people and turning them from an object of God's wrath into God's masterpiece, is that relevant? Amen, it is. Get it? Good. Now, I want to say three quick things about engaging our culture in relevant ways. But first, I want to show you one way not to do it. I had the opportunity to go to see the playoffs, Baltimore Orioles. They couldn't go all the way, but I still got their waving rag, right? I still got my Homer, wave my orange flag, whatever. But when Mark Vanden Abel and I were at the game, we're eating some hot dogs, having a good time, and then we hear this obnoxious sound coming up. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And look out, and there's some, quote, Jesus follower with a sign that says, on one side, wage of sinner death, God's judgment is coming on you. And I decided, I'm going to video this joker, take some pictures, and say, I, I can obviously use this someday. And, and it'd be hard to hear what he's saying, but just watch, tell me how effective this guy is right here. I really don't think the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And that wasn't very effective, was it? The scalper had more attention than guys selling tickets, right? That's not how we do it. And here's three things that are involved in engaging our culture in relevant ways. Number one, remove obstacles. I call this a John the Baptist method. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills made level, the curves will be straightening, and the rough places made smooth. And then, all people will see the salvation sent from God. And all those are just metaphors about making it as easy as possible for people to get to Jesus. And question, are there, are there any obstacles that we need to remove so that those who do not know him can find him? And church, this is a question that we must constantly ask ourselves and ask ourselves individually and as a church. Are there, what can we do to make it easier for people to see the salvation that has been sent from God. Get it? Next, embrace the do-whatever-it-takes attitude, which was Paul's attitude, by the way. Paul says this, you know, I become all things to all people. He's not compromising the message, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel. Paul's like, hey, you know what? Paul says, you know what? Paul says, I'm not going to let my freedom, I'm not going to let my wants, I'm not going to let my desires, I'm not going to let my preferences, I'm not going to let my opinions get in the way of somebody finding Jesus and seeing the salvation that has been sent by God. Get in the way of the mission. Get it? Good. Number three, we engage the culture simply by being the church. You know, you know we don't have to like discover something new to be. We just got to become what God has always wanted us to become his body, his church, his bride. You see, being relevant is so much deeper than the design of a building, the use of technology, social media, the arts, style of music, what we wear, what we don't wear. You see, all of that stuff is secondary. It's always changing. I mean, the early church, uh, they met in homes and, and, and they read from scrolls. We meet in buildings with air conditioning, indoor plumbing, electricity, sound system, projectors, bulletins, padded pews, with God's word in our hand or on our, in our hand or in our electronic devices. 
all secondary, non-essential, always changing stuff. But listen, living out our faith, the church being the church, Christians growing to look more and more like Jesus, those are not secondary or changing. Instead, they are essential and foundational. So here's my question. What would happen if the church was just a church and we live for God's glory, not our own? For kingdom advancement, not self-advancement. What if our focus was on worship, not wealth, our mission, not comfort, his story, not our story, others, not ourselves? And what if we, what if we really loved each other in radical kinds of ways, the way that Jesus loved us? And what if those who had more shared with those who had less? And what if racial and gender and cultural and socioeconomic barriers simply melted in our midst? I mean, you'd have to wonder if we would... We couldn't help but give the world a, 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 a vision of life that they just could not resist, and the Lord would add daily to our number. What if the church was just a church, and we loved the unlovely, forgave those who hurt us, reached out to the hurting, fed those who were hungry, freed those who were captives, served those who were less fortunate? What if the church was just a church, and we offered belonging to the outcast, took Christ into the darkness, brought truth to the skeptical, displayed love to our enemies? What if the church was just a church and our light just kept getting brighter and brighter? What if the church was just a church and our salt kept getting out of the shakier and, out of shakier, <laughs> out of the shaker and being saltier and saltier? What if, what if his mission and his passion increasingly became our mission and our passion, right? Because Really, if you think about it, there's only two things that we can't do in heaven, right? Sin and share our faith. Now, which one do you think he left us here to do, right? To share our faith. If the church was just a church, you'd have to wonder if the world would sit up and take notice and if the only thing that would be irrelevant would be the question, is the church relevant? I mean, is the light relevant in a dark room? Absolutely. Is salt relevant to McDonald's french fries? Absolutely, but not too much. <laughs> a life lived on mission begins with belong, deepens with grow, expresses itself and serve, and unleashes the favor and power of God as we engage. Like I said, we're going to talk about this in weeks to come, and I, I want to close with this. With, uh, I, I bought a book called Life on Mission. There's several of them. This one, the book's kind of okay, but the forward written by David Platt, is worth the price of the book. Here's what he writes. And we're actually truly, honestly wrapping up. The spread of the gospel of the book of Acts took place primarily because ordinary people, empowered by an extraordinary presence, were proclaiming the gospel wherever they went. To be sure, God did appoint well-known apostles like Peter and John and Paul for certain positions of leadership in the church. Yet, it was anonymous Christians, not the apostles, who first took the gospel to Judea and Samaria and was unnamed believers who founded the church at Antioch, which became a base for mission to the Gentile world. It was unidentified followers of Jesus who spread the gospel throughout all of Asia. Disciples were made and churches were multiplied in places the apostles never went. The good news of Jesus spread not just through gifted preachers, but through everyday peoples whose lives had been transformed by the power of Christ. They were going from house to house and in the marketplace and shops, along the streets and travel routes, leaving people, leading people to faith in Jesus on a daily basis. 
This is how the gospel penetrated the world during the first century. Through self-denying, spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus who were making disciples of Jesus. Followers of Jesus were fishing for men. Disciples were making disciples. Christians were not known for casual association with Christ and his church. Instead, they were known for complete abandonment to Christ and his cause. The Great Commission was not a choice for them to consider, but a command for them to obey. And though they faced untold trials and unthinkable persecution, they experienced unimaginable joy as they joined with Jesus in the advancement of his kingdom. And the author closes, you know, author of the preface closes by, by saying, I want to be a part of a church like this, right? And what I want you guys to do, here's what we're going to stand and, and then we're going to wrap up the service. But I'm going to read this and you can follow along. If you want to read out loud with me, you can. Um, but this is really good stuff. Let's stand. I want to be a part of a movement like that. I want to be part of a people who really believe that we have the Spirit of God in each of us for the spread of the gospel through all of us. I want to be part of a people who are gladly sacrificing the pleasures, pursuits, and possessions of this world because we're living for treasure in the world to come. I want to be part of a people who are forsaking every earthly ambition in favor for one eternal aspiration, to see disciples made and churches multiplied from our houses to our communities to our cities to the nation. I want, this kind of movement involves all of us, every single follower of Christ fishing for men, every single disciple making disciples, ordinary people spreading the gospel in extraordinary ways all over the world, men and women from diverse backgrounds with different gifts and distinct platforms making disciples and multiplying churches through every domain of society in every place on the planet. This is God's design for his church, and disciples of Jesus must not settle for anything else. Maple Grove. This is his design for his church, and we're not going to settle for anything else. We're going to live our lives on mission. We're going to pursue God with great passion. Maple Grove, the Spirit of the Lord is on us. And he's called us to engage our world. The Spirit of the Lord is on us so that we can go out and proclaim good news to the poor. That we can go out and tell the captives that they can be set free. Tell the oppressed that they're free. And tell those without hope that they can have hope. The Spirit of the Lord is on us to tell this world that the time of God's favor isn't just coming. It's here. It's now. It's available. Father God, we love you. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us, that you saved us, that you rescued us. And God, thank you that we get to be a part of what you did and how, how you work in us. And Jesus, I, I pray that you will, you will own us and that we will shout out your name and shout out your truth to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.